Hi, this is Vax Talk, the podcast that lives up to its name. My name is Karen Ernst, and I am the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstra. I'm a general pediatrician at Blank Children's Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. And today we are back at it for National Immunization Awareness Month. It's the last week of National Immunization Awareness Month, and we have in some ways saved the best for last, and that's Mm -hmm. our teens and our tweens and their vaccines. And and it's great because it rhymes, but also because in some ways those are the kids that parents sort of forget to vaccinate. Uh, and so th- um, I just want to talk a little bit ab- before we introduce our guest, and I'm very excited about our guest, mm-hmm. uh, about uh, vaccines that parents should be um, making sure they get their kids. Uh, we're going to talk primarily today about meningococcal vaccines, but are there other vaccines that kids should be getting in their teen and tween years, Nathan? Sure. So when you're thinking about tweens, like 11 or 12 is a major touch point for a pediatrician or a, a, a primary care doctor to make sure that a child, a, a tween, is up to date with their shots. So there are usually three shots that you're going to get at one of those visits. Uh, one of them we've talked a lot about on the podcast. We've talked about the HPV vaccine, which uh, you and I know is an extremely important vaccine to get at that age. The other two are uh, Tdap, so the booster basically for the tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis vaccine. That's the one that's given to adolescents. Uh, And then the one that we're going to talk about, meningococcal. Of course, we always want to um, make sure kids are getting their flu shot every year through the teen years and then making sure that if there were any any that were missed, uh, that they get caught up. But those are the ones that come to mind. Right. And then they should be back in at age 16, of course. And Mm -hmm. and we'll talk about why they should be back in at age 16. Um, But before we do that, I want to introduce our guest, uh, Patty Wachowicz, who lives in New York State and is the founder and director of the uh, Kimberly Coffee Foundation. So welcome, Patty. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I'm so glad to have you here. I've known Patty for a long time online. Someday I'll get to meet her in person. She's a fabulous, caring, wonderful person and um, a really inspirational person, too. And you have a foundation named after your daughter, Kimberly. And before we talk about, you know, her her uh, meningitis battle and losing her to meningitis B, um, I want you to tell us to tell us who Kimberly is, to sort of introduce us to her, what 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 do you, what is it that we would love most about Kimberly? The essence of Kimberly is basically laughter, joy, and peace. That is really what she's about. Um, Kimberly was an extremely vibrant, compassionate, silly, funny, confident, smart high school senior. You know, a perfectly healthy high school senior. Right. Just, a, you know, my, my one and only daughter. I have a son as well. And um, the youngest grandchild in my, on my side of the family. And um, she was the light of so many people's lives. She was just a, a great person. A great, great person. Absolutely. And uh, I, I, it's obvious that her light uh, shines on through the work that you do absolutely um so let's talk a little bit about 
her meningitis um and what what can you share with us about how quickly it came on and you know what sort of what happened Kimberly was in her last week of senior high school perfectly healthy looking forward to prom and high school graduation and she came home one afternoon having a fever of 101 and body aches and she and I both thought that it was the flu I called her pediatrician he said it sounded like the flu bring her in in the morning and by the next morning I said to her now how do you feel this morning now that you've had you know a whole night's sleep and she said I sort of feel the same mom but it's the weirdest sensation I feel like one of my ankles are bleeding so I pulled back the sheets and I saw she had tiny three tiny purple dots on one of her ankles which scared me and I rushed her to the emergency room I got her there and as I was driving her to the emergency room she very quickly got worse and worse she was having um, trouble just having a conversation with me she was really in a lot of pain and she started with the rash it went right up her entire body a purplish rash went right before my eyes went right up her entire body and um, when I got her to the emergency room the doctors knew exactly what she had and they told me that we think your daughter has bacterial meningitis and I said that well that's absolutely impossible my daughter has been protected I made sure that I had both of my children vaccinated against meningococcal disease later I found out that the vaccine that we commonly know as the meningitis vaccine does not protect against meningitis B and that's what Kimberly had in 2012 we did not have a vaccine for meningitis B in 2012 so I had at the time done everything that I could for her so you can imagine I was completely shocked to find out that the vaccine that I thought protected my daughter did not fully protect her right because you had no idea that meningitis B was still out there I had no idea I had never heard of meningitis B right and um, did they suspect then when you told them that she was vaccinated that it was meningitis B yes they immediately told me you know your daughter most likely has meningitis B and the vaccine doesn't protect against it so they reassured me that I had done everything I could for her at the time by getting her vaccinated with the common meningitis vaccine but I was completely blindsided when they told me that she had bacterial meningitis I mean it was just a complete shock and within you know within hours she was going downhill very quickly and she was in multi-organ failure and in the ICU fighting for her life and unfortunately nine days later it was Kimberly was declared brain dead and we had to make the terrible decision to remove my otherwise perfectly healthy high school senior 17 year old daughter who was in school just the day before I had to take her off of life support so it was horrific as you can imagine yeah that's just yeah. heartbreaking mm. it is I feel I, I don't even know what to say to follow that up with thank you so much for sharing that story and I I feel that it is so powerful for um, people to be able to hear stories like this but it also takes so much bravery to be able to tell it so thank you so much you're welcome
but and and it does take so much bravery and the thing that's amazing about you patty and why i think that kimberly's light is still shining is that you didn't sort of turn the world away you turned what happened to all of you into a form of action and you started a foundation named after kimberly yes so when when did you decide that 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 you were called to do that 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 was important to you it was so important to me because I could, it, it, it happened pretty much, you know, after the dust settled a little bit and I said, okay, well, I have two choices. I can either curl up in a ball and, you know, be a, you know, be a mess for the rest of my life, or I could really try to make something positive ha- happen out of this horrific tragedy. So I, I, it's just my, I just want to make sure that parents are aware that meningitis B is out there. And I want to make sure that they know that the more common meningitis vaccine does not protect against meningitis B. I'm sorry, that the, that the more common meningitis vaccine does not protect against meningitis B, that they need to add a new vaccine that is available as of 2014. There are now meningitis B vaccines. And unfortunately, they came out two years too late for Kimberly. Hmm. Yeah, let me take a minute just to kind of spell that out a little bit for people listening. Um, so the, the the vaccine that we often think about uh, for meningococcus, that's either called Menveo or uh, Menactra. And uh, like a lot of bacteria, uh, there are many different uh, strains and types and such out there. Um, that can cause disease, and we tend to target the ones that cause the most disease in certain age groups. So the ones that cause the most meningococcal disease in most teenagers are covered by this Menactra menveo, and that's types A, C, Y, and uh, W135. Uh, meningococcal B is not in that vaccine. That's a separate one. Uh, and has different brand name off the top of my head. I think it's True... True Nemba. True Nemba, yeah. The, yep. I wasn't sure it was True Nemba or True Memba, but something like that. Um, and that has, you know, it has been out for a couple, few years. It doesn't have the same broad recommendation at this point that the meningococcal, the, the Menactra slash Menveo vaccines uh, have in that it's a little bit more of a permissive recommendation. That is to say that it's something to talk about with with your doctor um, and decide uh, the, the whether or not to get that vaccination. In my opinion, from an individual's perspective, there is no reason to not be immunized against meningococcal B disease for the reasons that are made plain uh, just now. Um, But it is something that your doctor may not, or your child's pediatrician may not uh, immediately recommend. I don't believe it's required for schools anywhere. So it's something that might take a little bit of of work. You might have to ask. Um, It's one that I recommend to all my teenagers at age 16. It's covered by insurance. And as far as I know, I believe it's covered by most insurances, uh, if not all. Um, And so for an individual risk benefit uh, balance, there's really no reason, in my opinion, to not be immunized against it. But it does have kind of its, it's still accumulating data before there is going to be, whether or not there is going to be a a more universal recommendation, much less school requirement uh, for meningococcal B vaccine.
pa uh, Patty, so I know that um, the when the requirements came out, did you go to the ACIP meeting, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices for those at home? Um, did you go to that meeting to give your testimony about uh, adding the meningitis B to the vaccine schedule? I did. I went to the ACIP and I spoke directly to the panel and told them Kimberly's story, you know, holding up a picture of my, my beautiful daughter and putting a face to this very ugly disease, my daughter's beautiful face to this very ugly disease, and, hmm. you know, advocating for a full recommendation. Um, I am happy that the ACIP has given meningitis B vaccines a permissive recommendation, um, which has paved the way for them to be covered by most commercial insurance, which is great. Hmm. What I want to see happen of course, is that this never happens to anybody else. And to me, the way to achieve that would be to give it a full recommendation and that all kids have to, you know, all teenagers have to receive this vaccine along with any other mandates. So certain states have mandates um, for 7th and 12th graders, and um, but none of them actually include meningitis B vaccination. So I would, that's what I would love to see happen because I just just knowing that the vaccine is out there and not letting everyone know about it and the availability that they, they just need to know to have that conversation with the doctor. They have to know it's available yes. and that they, and they have to know to ask for it if their pediatrician may not bring it up. So they need to have the knowledge and say, has my child received the meningitis B vaccine specifically ask it that way? Because a lot of times parents will say to their pediatrician, has my child been vaccinated against meningitis? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a broad question now. So parents need to know to be more specific and say, has my child also received the additional and separate meningitis B vaccine? So I, I have a question for both of you then, because you talked about doctors and, and parents going in and asking, do we have any idea um, at this point, how receptive doctors are to parents who ask, you know, in your work, Patty, um, as, as an advocate or your work, Nathan, as someone who's connected to a lot of pediatricians in the world, mm -hmm. do we have a, do we have a sense that most pediatricians are happy to give this vaccine or are pediatricians kind of saying, ah, oh, you don't need it? Can I, I'd like to hear your what experiences you've had, Patty, in terms of who you had conversations with physicians or found out information about that? I have. I have had conversations with uh, many pediatricians who say, you know, when I tell them that I'm happy that they're offering meningitis B vaccines to their patients, many have said to me, I don't just offer it. I, I you know, I actually demand that they get this vaccine because there's really no reason not to get it. This vaccine can save lives. Why would you even risk the chance when we have the tools right now? I didn't have the tools to protect Kimberly. And it would just kill me to see another child be affected by meningitis B when the vaccine is available. Just, you know, I really just want to make sure that the, that patients have that conversation with the pediatrician. Um, but for the most part, the doctors, yes, they are recommending it. Thank goodness. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I think the challenges in it include the confusion over the recommendation 
it's really difficult, I think, as a physician to try to parse what it means to have a permissive recommendation for a vaccine. Um, and so some, depending on where the clinic is, they may not stock it. They may not know whether or not it's worth, you know, what's their demand going to be stocking this one vaccine that's given at this time for a disease that is devastating and deadly, but rare. Um, it's, it's difficult to, I think, I think that's a barrier for, for physicians in their mind. And I don't have any data that I've looked up in terms of, you know, in, and it's only been a few years in terms of how good of a coverage we have, like how many physicians are get it, giving it, how many patients are receiving it. Um, and I'm not sure it's going to, I think, take some, some campaigns and some work to increase that, uh, over time. I think, you know, I remember, I remember watching, uh, Dr. Paul Offit talk about this vaccine on a video, I think, and he was kind of breaking it down into, you know, kind of realizing that some of the recommendations are made looking at cost efficacy on a population basis, which, you know, and maybe that's part of why the permissive recommendation is there, but for an individual, your risk of this of 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 this disease is far worse than any the virtually non-existent risk of the vaccine um that there's no reason that you wouldn't i think as a pediatrician want every kid protected against this and i hope that that sentiment gets out there i i agree with you 100 percent, and thank you for saying that um i do agree that the recommendation from acip is a confusing recommendation mm-hmm you know, it says that you you may be, 16 to 23-year-olds may be vaccinated with a meningitis B vaccine, and the preferred age is 16 to 18. So, you know, it, it's a confusing recommendation. So no wonder, you know, parents are confused, and no wonder parents think that their child is protected. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's just other misconceptions about the vaccinations available for meningococcal disease. You know, parents think that their child has to be vaccinated in order to go to college. And that's just not true. Mm-hmm. You know, every school has its own rules. And that's that's another point, too, is a lot of parents think of meningitis as, a, a, a bacterial meningitis as a college disease. And they think, my, my kid's going to be moving to the dorms, so, you know, we'll get these vaccines before college. But Kimberly's story shows that it is a disease that can affect high school students as well and so so there's two parts to that and one is that yes get your kids vaccinated at age 11 to 12 but then part two is and go back for your booster um at age 16 um and i know the meningitis vaccine is the permissive recommendation doesn't start until age 16 not at 11 and 12 so that's another confusing part too right how you know how do parents parse all of that it's tricky. It's tricky. So I, I mean, for myself, I break it down to them. And I always tell them Kim's story. Please remember, Kimberly was not a college student. Yes, she was enrolled to um, go to nursing school. She wasn't she unfortunately passed away three months before she hmm. had that opportunity. Um, but she was a high school senior. And Kimberly was I actually buried Kimberly three days before her high school graduation in her prom dress that she never got to wear. 
So, you know, so many parents have this vision of college, college, college. Mm -hmm. It's not just college, you know, and I just want to make sure that they understand that. And also, if they think it's college, they think, okay, well, only if my child is dorming there. But that's mm. not, that's not it, you know. And the reality is it really should be for everybody. There's there's no reason to run the risk. You don't have to live in a dorm to catch this disease. You don't have to go to college to catch this disease. You, there's no particular uh, interaction that this disease is exclusive to. Right. Anybody can catch it at that age. Um, I'm hopeful that, you know, now the the, the other meningococcal vaccine, that Menactra slash Menveo, has a booster recommendation at age 16. So I like to think that um, physicians will th think of that as uh, a point at which, hey, you know, this is the time we can give these two vaccines at 16 um, and protect against all these forms of meningitis. And so hopefully that will help. You know, some state, most, our state recently passed a law to require uh, the 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 ACYW135 the the other meningococcal vaccine for seventh uh, and twelfth grades so that's going to be another like stop point for uh, teens to see their doctor make sure that they're up to date with that vaccine and hopefully that's going to increase uh, the rate of vaccination for for men B. So both 7th and 12th grade? Yeah, 7th and 12th. They have to get the, you know, we usually give it 11 or 12 for the first dose and then age 16 or so for the second. So if they're following that, uh, then they're meeting their requirements. But yeah, we require it for both 7th and 12th grades. That's impressive. One, one for 7th and two doses for, for 12th. Right. Patty, you worked on legislation too. So what sort of legislative victories have you had? In, in New York State, I advocated for the New York State meningococcal law, which became effective September 1st of 2016. And that law requires that all students entering 7th and 12th grade be required to be vaccinated for meningococcal disease. And again, that's for types A, C, W, and Y. Um, that's a huge victory. It's wonderful. Um, as Dr. Boonstra said, I think that's the perfect time when these kids are in there for their 12th grade, you know, for their booster. That's the time when they should be introduced to men B vaccination. They can get it the same day. It's, it's the perfect time. And I really think that having laws in place in all these different states will really make a difference because, as you said, it is that stopping point and it's the perfect time to get a meningitis B vaccine. So I think we should see some uptake in that. That's I'm hopeful. So I, I have a question about that that schedule, and something I, I hope one of the two of you knows, and that's that I've always been curious why the meningitis B vaccine isn't recommended until age 16. Um, what what that recommendation came from? As far as I know, and I'd probably need to do a little bit more digging to make sure, but it's going to, these are usually based on, number one, what was the licensure for when they did the clinical trials uh, sure. and they, the age group that they chose. And they chose that age group based on the best, like the most diseases in this age range. So that's you know the the 16 plus age range is the is the is when the most um, meningococcal b disease is happening 
that's what they did the trials on, that's what it's licensed for, and that's what we have right now. And if that changes or there's more trials done, then maybe it would change its licensure. So I don't know details of it. I have not gone through all the you know, the, the licensure process of this particular vaccine. But that's usually the case when we talk about any, any of these kind of vaccines that are for a specific age group. It's just because that's when the the most uh, disease is happening. And since, you know, some of these vaccines do only last for a, a certain number of years, or they know that it only lasts for a certain number of years, and so they want that those years to be the coverage of that high-risk time. And I think that's where we are right now with, uh, with the MenB vaccine. Right. I'd like to add one more thing about the uh, MenB is that um, it's important to know that all of the college outbreaks in the United States, all bacterial meningitis college outbreaks since 2011 have been attributed to meningitis B. Wow. Hmm. So that would go in, you know, perfect sync with why the recommendation is for those ages. Although the vaccine itself... um, is available and recommended for um, 10 to 25 year olds, but they chose for the, I'm sorry, for the recommendation they gave 16 to 23. Sure. So it, it's confusing. It, it, it really is. And if it would just be something, you know, a, a regular um, recommendation and not have all these little stipulations, it would just make life so much easier. And I really think we'd have, you know, better coverage. And, and, you know, as a result, save lives. Absolutely. That's, that's the whole point of this. You know, it's prevention, prevention, prevention. And just can't say that enough. Yeah. I know a lot of times during those college outbreaks, there are there's a big um, push campaign to vaccinate students on campus. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how successful those have been in, in your site in your experience how successful those vaccinating students who are already in college uh, in an outbreak from what i've been told the uh the vaccine clinics have been successful depending on the campus so it, it doesn't really go straight across the board um but the schools really you know they'll have a great campaign and they'll get a lot of the kids on board some of them do and some of them don't and some of them the actual schools themselves will pay for the vaccine. Other schools right. might not stock it and they may have to send the child to an outlying pharmacy. Hmm. You know, and that's how you lose the opportunity to vaccinate kids by having to send them somewhere else. You want it there when they're when they're ready to get it, you just want it there so they can get it. So, you know, there's missed opportunities with that. But as far as vaccinating kids once the outbreak has happened is so backwards. This is all about prevention. Now this disease has shown its ugly face on their campus and then they backpedal and then they want to vaccinate. It just makes absolutely no sense. It's true and, and hopefully, you know, I, I have hope that with what you've said about when you've talked to doctors and what Nathan said about his experience with doctors is that um, more kids will go into you know, their high school years and their college years protected, better protected and and create that sort of none shall pass for meningitis in among their peer group. Right. Absolutely. Um, can you tell us uh, what else you've been able to do through the Kimberly Coffee Foundation? 
So our mission is to educate the public and health as well as healthcare professionals about meningococcal disease with the symptoms and the importance of prevention with two different meningococcal vaccines, one for meningitis A, C, W, and Y, and one for meningitis B. So what we do is um, I've spoken at multiple high schools on Long Island and spoken to the health classes individually. And the kids, you know, the, the feedback is that these kids really had no idea how serious the disease is or how it's transmitted. That's always, you know, feedback I get from the kids. Wow, I had no idea. You know, this is what I do every day. I'm just being a regular kid, which is true. So the best thing you want to do is vaccinate, you know, and just take it off the table and then just, you know, get vaccinated. So a lot of, you know, talking at schools, um, I have created a PSA, which is on our homepage of our website, KimberlyCoffeeFoundation.org, which is a PSA of four teens who have been affected by meningitis B. And it's four kids talking directly to kids about what they went through and emphasizing the fact that they have to have two different vaccines to be fully protected. I've testified before the ACIP committee and told them Kimberly's story, again, to try to get a full recommendation, a broad recommendation for meningitis B vaccination. And I'm always just you know, just always talking to parents, no matter where I am. I'm always calling pediatricians' office. We just did a mailing of our our brochures for the foundation to all of the pediatricians on Long Island, um, asking them to please, you know, let me know if you'd like to stock these in your office to put in your waiting room. And I've gotten excellent feedback from that, so I'm very happy with that. That the doctors are very interested, and they want to make sure that pa that their patients know. So, you know, that it's working out very well, and we have a very, um, we have a global Facebook presence, and, you know, which is in alignment with our mission, just to strictly educate, educate, educate. I want people to know to prevent this disease, and I, the most important thing I want them to know is that their child's not fully protected unless they add an additional and separate meningitis B vaccine, because without it, they're just as protected as Kimberly was. And I thought, yeah. I thought she was fully protected, and she wasn't. And I'm a registered nurse, and I did not know this information. So I want to make sure, again, that healthcare professionals know as well. So, Patty, if people want more information about the Kimberly Coffee Foundation or want to follow what you're doing, where can they find you? Our website is KimberlyCoffeeFoundation.org, and it's... Kimberly Coffey, C-O-F-F-E-Y, foundation.org. And I can be contacted through the website as well as through our Facebook page, Kimberly Coffey Foundation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing Kimberly and her story with us and for giving us all of your wisdom and insight. It's always wonderful to talk to you, Patty, and I'm so glad to share this conversation with other parents and the general public. It's very generous of you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So thank you, everyone who's listened in, and thank you for joining us. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or probably anywhere else you get your podcasts. My name is Karen Ernst. I'm the Executive Director at Voices for Vaccines. You can find us at VoicesForVaccines.org. And I'm Nathan Boonstra. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at PedsGeekMD or my blog, PedsGeekMD.com. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you.